Welcome to a parenting space actually designed for you, where you can get answers about navigating a life that includes autism. I'm Dr. Tay, and today I'm answering your questions. Anytime you submit questions on my social media, they could end up on this podcast. Let's dive into today's question. All right, y'all, we're back for another Q&A episode. And this is a really interesting question. This actually came from a group of psychologists. And this was a psychologist who didn't specialize in autism and basically asked this community, can a child outgrow autism? So I want to dive into that today. So you have this understanding because this is something I also hear from parents a lot. Can my child outgrow autism? And a lot of questions that I get in diagnostic feedback too of being like, Okay, so what does this mean for the future? And I'm not going to go into what does this mean for the future because that could be a whole episode on itself. What I will tell you is we can't predict the future, but one thing that I do know is no, your child will never outgrow autism. And I want to talk about why today and why building acceptance around that is so essential. This idea of outgrowing autism does come from earlier autism research and clinical work of having kids that ultimately, you know, way back when, and I've talked about this, about my brother's own journey, that the sentiment was to cure autism, to fix autism. And we know that's not possible. And it's interesting, even back then, my parents knew that wasn't possible, but there was constantly, the way things were marketed, it was constant on that focus. It is important to know that dsm 4 was different than DSM-5. So DSM-4 didn't have the same like by history clause, and I'll explain what I mean in a second by that, as DSM-5 does. And so my brother's story was really unique where they did end up removing his diagnosis, which is one of the reasons he didn't grow up identifying as autistic. I don't recommend that as a clinician. And what we've seen is that symptoms And the way that autism presents can ebb and flow. There may be times in a individual's life or your child's life where their autistic traits aren't as apparent and other times that they are. Although the more that I learn about masking too, this question does come into mind of, are they just masking? Are they trying to fit in? Have they learned a skill that has taught them masking? Again, could be a whole nother episode. So we won't go there right now to keep this short and sweet. But in the research literature, there was this concept of optimal outcome. What this meant is that ultimately they were, sometimes they'd remove these kids' diagnoses and other times they would just say like that the autistic symptoms were subthreshold. But at time of diagnosis, they clearly met diagnostic criteria. And so I think largely my brother would fit into this. There's some nuance with that, but it doesn't matter because when we think about autism now, we think about how an individual's brain is wired. And yes, we know that the brain is highly malleable, meaning it can easily change. It's called neuroplasticity. That is the truth. And there's some inherent characteristics that come with being autistic. And it's part of an identity. And I think now we have so much more of an acceptance that instead of being like, let's just try to change autistic children to look 
like neurotypical children, it has shifted to how do we build acceptance? In particular, how do we build our capacity for what we think is quote unquote normal? Normal is whatever that person is, however they are inherently. And so I think that there has been a shift in that. And so that is where some of this context comes from, some of this idea of outgrowing autism came about. But what I do want to tell you is the DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual 5th Edition, and we're now in the text revision, which means it's like another revised version, states that autism is a lifelong disorder. And there's actually a clause in the DSM-5 that says, by history. So when we're even initially doing the diagnosis, a child does not have to have all the characteristics all at once, they just have to have a history of it. So that is something to keep in mind is we're always thinking about what is their developmental history. But it is a lifelong disorder, and this is an open conversation that I have with parents. But one of the things to also keep in mind is that support needs will vary over time. This is one of the reasons, and I had an episode on this, this is one of the reasons that I actually don't love the use of levels in diagnostics. Levels came about in DSM-5, so level one, two, and three. Level one is requiring support. Level two is requiring substantial support, and level three is requiring very substantial support, which can be mixed up too with severity where parents hear level three and think that, oh, my child has the most severe form of autism. It doesn't quite equate to that. I talked about this in episode 14. It was a Q&A episode with, before I started a weekly Q&A of a bunch of questions, and I talk about autism levels in that episode. Ultimately, one of the reasons I don't like them is they're pretty abstract. They're not well-defined. Providers don't use them consistently. Parents often have more questions and they're more confusing than they are helpful. But the bigger reason I don't love them is how can we give one level to an autistic child? One, this varies over time. For example, when your child is sick, I see this a lot of, with the autistic kiddos I work with. We see sometimes more of their traits come out. For example, they have may have more difficulty with transitioning and change in routine. They may have more difficulty communicating their needs. And this isn't unique to the autistic experience. This is as humans, when we don't feel good, we're not operating optimally. And so your child may need more support. Their traits may be more apparent or even potentially more causing more interference on a day-to-day -day basis in those situations. So that's one example. But also, we see that things just naturally ebb and flow over time. It's just the nature and the course, so to speak, of autism. And therapy support systems can dramatically impact that. But the other thing is, your child doesn't have one uniform area. They may have great strengths in their abilities to read and write, like consistent with hyperlexia, and then have more of a challenging time actually expressing their needs and making requests. So they would need more support in those day-to-day -day requests maybe than they do academically. And that's one example, and there's so many different examples. And so this is important to keep in mind, and why this relates to this is you might also see that your child is in a period where they need less support. But I love thinking of 
everything like a safety net. I talk about this with IEPs a lot that I encourage parents of autistic kids to advocate for the IEP, even if it doesn't always feel like there's the most urgent need right now, get it in place. It's like a safety net. It's there to catch you if you need it. I also talk about my services as a safety net. Yes, we're having weekly sessions, but the ability to message me at any time and ask any question or if a situation pops up, that safety net is there. I'm there to help catch you. I will say more often than not, parents aren't texting me on a regular basis with all these questions because they're living life and they're figuring it out and they're navigating it. But that security of having the safety net there is so important. And so I love just understanding that like maybe your child doesn't need as many supports right now because of kind of their symptoms shifting, but always having that safety net in place, which are all of the supports that they may need. And so while your child will never grow out of autism, what will happen is the support they need. And this is really important to keep in mind too, that we, I I actually in my clinical practice have been talking a lot about presuming competence and making sure that we aren't over-supporting or also we aren't seeing this child's label and assuming they can't do things because of that. That is absolutely ableism and that is not neurodivergent affirming and so many issues with that. And so what I want to say on this topic, though, is we do want to presume competence of your child. We want to give them the ability to thrive and be their best self. And so that also means really focusing on what can they do and giving them that opportunity. And so we don't want to keep the same supports year after year. We want to do an evaluation of are those supports still needed? And there's times your child's going to need more support and times your child is going to need less support. And so Overall, I think what's really important to keep in mind is that this idea of outgrowing autism comes from a very, and I'm air quoting this, fix it mindset where you're trying to fix the problem. And it is an indicator if you find yourself, and I say this with the utmost love, but if you find yourself constantly being like, can this go away? Will my child outgrow this? That just is an indicator that more acceptance is needed. And I think learning about neurodiversity and even more importantly, learning how your child's brain works so that you can see that autism isn't just this symptom checklist, but instead is who your child is. It's part of their identity and it's what makes them uniquely them. It also, yes, there's areas they need support, but there's some brilliant strengths that come with it too. And I think we just need to be more in tune with that. Before I wrap up this episode, I do want to comment on one thing. And this was the original context that this question came up with in um, this psychologist community. I am going to say Let me just give a little plug. This is the importance of why working with a psychologist who specializes in autism. And even if that's not me, I would love to work with you. And if you have questions about my services, in the show notes, you can always book a free consult call with me or email me. But even if it's not me, making sure you're working with a team that understands autism, this goes beyond psychology too, and is neurodivergent affirming. 
I think this is super, super important. But basically, it was in this context of a child getting a diagnosis at a really young age, going through early intervention. And we do know that with neuroplasticity and how the brain works, the brain is rapidly growing during that early intervention window. And so we can see huge gains. And so they may exit early intervention and not need as much support, but we want to keep monitoring their growth and development, whether that's your child or another child, depending on if this is part of your story. But the question was, if the child was diagnosed young, is it a misdiagnosis? Should I be removing this diagnosis? And there is a really small chance it could be a misdiagnosis, that it never should be should be diagnosed in the first place. But I actually think it's really risky to remove a diagnosis, particularly a really early diagnosis. For example, they might not be needing a lot of supports, but what happens when some of the natural structure of our system start to disappear? Think about the transition usually into middle school is really hard. Kids go from structured elementary school to less structure in middle school. We see during puberty and into high school, that can be a hard transition or into college, all these times that transitions happen and we don't fully know and we can't predict what your child will need then. So I think it's really risky to remove the diagnosis, particularly if it was done young, unless there's like very clear justification of I'm confident this was a misdiagnosis. As a provider, I can't think of one situation that I've removed a diagnosis. And that is not saying, I actually had a parent ask me the other day of, okay, you specialize in autism. Does that mean you're always diagnosing autism? I was like, oh no, definitely not. We're using differential diagnosis. We're figuring out what's going on. I just wrapped up a case of a four-year-old where it wasn't autism and I diagnosed ADHD. I've diagnosed anxiety. I've said to parents, listen, this is just a speech delay. There's nothing more going on here. I can't think of an example that I have removed a diagnosis. I think symptoms can be really subtle in early childhood and you do need someone really skilled to be able to pick this apart. Anyway, all right. That is all for this episode. I just wanted to talk about this idea of outgrowing because I'm hearing it in my professional circles and I also am hearing it from parents. This is conversations I have. But in short, to wrap up this episode is no, your child will not outgrow autism. And it really becomes about less about that diagnostic label and more about who is your child as a person and understanding who your child is, where their strengths are, where they are really thriving, and then where they need some extra areas of support. And those areas of support are going to vary over time, over location, over situation. All of that is true. And so It's less about a yes, no for autism and what they're doing well, does that mean they outgrew it? No, the way their brain is wired, they are autistic. It is part of their identity. And if you're seeing not a lot of support areas, that means you're supporting them and getting them the support they need. All right, y'all, that is a wrap for today's Q&A episode. As always, the outro will say this, but let me know if you have questions. I actually am getting a little low on my question bank. I keep a running list, and so this would be the perfect time. Go to my social media, which is linked in the show notes. Submit me a question. I put up question boxes every week on Instagram. 
but let me know or even you can use the email I provide and shoot me a question. So let's get a battery of questions built up so we can keep these Q&A episodes going because I love being able to answer questions about the things that matter most to you and really shaping the podcast to be a resource. All right, y'all. That's a wrap. Bye. This episode was meant to be short and sweet. Full-length episodes air every Wednesday with many episodes like this sprinkled in between. So subscribe now so you don't miss the next one. And if you want to inspire a future episode, because that's how we roll over here, ask me a question on any of my social media pages for a chance to have your question featured. Bye, y'all, and I'll see you soon.